Welcome to the Top 5 Podcast with your hosts, Rail Bricker and Lindsay Adams. Well, welcome back. This is Lindsay Adams welcoming our new guest for today, Kevin Humphreys. Uh, Kevin lives in Brisbane, Australia, and he served in the Army for 20 years flying Black Hawk and Chinook helicopters. He deployed on numerous overseas operations towards the peak of his career, contemplated suicide, suffered a breakdown due to PTSD, anxiety and depression, but it wasn't the war zone that tore him apart. He not only got back on his feet, but also back in the air again, spending the next 10 years as a search and rescue helicopter pilot, flight instructor and examiner. Today, his personal mission is to lift humanity by inspiring people to have their own courageous and compassionate conversations. He's a mental health ambassador for Airbus Australia Pacific, a community ambassador for Mates for Mates, and the creator of Core Infinitus, which gives dignity and respect to the families of those who've served our nation and who are overwhelmed by their battle within. Welcome, Kevin. G'day, Lindsay. Thank you. Great to be here. Mate, it's it's an absolute uh, honour to have you on the podcast. You, you have a very interesting story. And today we're going to explore um, the top five tips for resilience. So, Kevin, what's tip number one? Yeah, it's, um, it's tip, tip number one for me is actually perspective. Um, so by that I mean taking a different view of what it is that you're looking at. Whatever that person, problem or issue is that you're facing right now, almost certainly if you can afford yourself the ability to look at it from a different point of view, you will see it very differently. Um, There's a a fellow who's passed now by the name of Wayne Dyer and he had a saying, "When when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And... I have found that to be such a, an instructional, transformational statement that when I, when I came across it and then actually took the time to to put it into practice, mm-hmm. I, I really did start to see things change before my very eyes. And 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 when you know a, a problem, a person, an issue, whatever it might be, um, when you can start to see that differently. Um, then the the scale and the magnitude, the nature of the problem, um, the issue, it changes as well, and uh, and, and allows you to um, allows you to to take a new reference point, and therefore take a new tact if that's required, or to keep going on. So, so Kevin, the question then is changing this perspective. I mean, is it because we always see our own problems as as overwhelming and crushing, but when you sort of step outside, when we step outside ourselves and we look at it, we go, maybe it's not that bad. That's exactly it. That's the point. Um, you know, we and it's not to look for someone else that's got a bigger problem than you, right? It's just that when we uh, when we take our problems on ourselves and we don't seek a different point of view or a different reference point they can absolutely become all-consuming because we only have the the, um, the benefit of our own experiences uh, and the, we only have the benefits of our own limited uh, knowledge, education, understanding. But when you get the benefit of being able to look at a particular problem, 
from the perspective of the person that you might have a problem with or the issue that you might have, um, or indeed when you get to talk with some other people about this particular issue, they have different perspectives, different education, different um, knowledge about it, and they can give you a different point of view. Uh, and you can either say that you can either then find out that the uh, that 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 your story that you're telling yourself, which is the segue into the second one we're going to talk about, the story you're, you're telling yourself about this thing actually isn't as or is is over the top, and uh, and really it's not that bad. Okay, so so that segued beautifully because you used the word, so I'll just carry on with that theme. <laughs> uh, segued into hit us up with tip number two for resilience. Yeah, so that's storytelling, uh, and and basically, what story am I telling myself about whatever is in front of me at the moment, or whatever I'm doing? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this this also is one of the most incredible things when I finally realised um, that my the majority of my suicidal ideation came from the stories that I was telling myself about myself and the stories that I was telling myself about other people's problems or issues. Um, and so when I, uh, when I then was able to reframe the story that I was telling myself about whatever it might be, I was able to start making huge leaps and bounds. And I, and I guess the one of the most profound that I can um, give you as a quick example is um, when uh, yeah, my suicidal ideation, one of the greatest um, examples I can give you is after I had my breakdown and I ended up convulsing on the ground, I every time I thought of myself and saw myself in my head, I saw that guy convulsing on the ground and I needed to change the story and the image that I was telling myself about myself. And I remember The Six Million Dollar Man, the TV show from the 70s and 80s, and I loved that show as a kid, absolutely loved it as a teenager. And uh, and I decided I was going to become the $6 million man. So I put the image of the $6 million man with my head on his shoulders in my mind and kept repeating his mantra. You know, we have the technology, we can rebuild him, make him better, faster, stronger than he was before. Well, I would say to myself, I have the technology. I can rebuild me. I'm going to make me better, faster, stronger than I was before. I'm going to rebuild my brain. And and that was the story I started telling myself because I wanted a new story. Um, so, so here's an interesting question. That after that incident, all you saw was your your yourself curled up in this fetal position, you know, as opposed to seeing yourself with the controls of a Black Hawk helicopter, which you'd spend 20 years flying. Uh, absolutely. Uh, every every one of my achievements, every one of my um, you know, missions that I'd flown and whatever else, they all disappeared. All I saw myself as was a failure. All, all of my self-talk and my, my own stories that I was telling myself was that I was a complete failure. Kevin, that, that's a very interesting uh, anecdote. How long does it take to convince yourself that you are the $6 million man? Well, excellent question. Uh, for me, it took me nine months for me to get back to work 
and and that was just to get me to the point of being functional again so that i you know this is from the very depths mind you um but that's just for me to get functional again i've got to say it took me some years from there to actually get to the point of not seeing myself as a failure anymore and actually getting over the shame what i felt of the shame associated with it Uh, and again it was the stories i was telling myself about why i was keeping myself silent because of my perceived shame yeah Uh, so yeah the sooner you can get rid of the uh those negative stories out of your head then this and the the better you can put in the the uh, the motivational um, propelling stories, then the quicker you'll get out. So I'm guessing for, it's it's different strokes for different folks. It's going to take some people nine months and other people a longer time, or maybe even a shorter time. Would yeah. that be? Uh, ab- absolutely, absolutely. Okay. And and I and and I'd say one of the things that will dictate that the most is how open you are to uh, sharing your uh sharing your issues with friends colleagues trusted other professionals rather than bottling it all up and keeping it uh, private sure okay let's move on to tip number three tip number three is the circle of control um this uh this is something that a lot of people find quite profound when i ask them name me all the things that you can control and there's a whole bunch of things that come out. There's, you know, driving the car and what the kids are wearing to school and there's there's all, all manner of things that apparently we can control, right? Um, in actual fact, there's only four. There's only four things we can control and that is our own thoughts, our feelings, our words and our actions. Um, once, once our actions leave our fingertips or our words leave our lips, then how they land and what happens after that is actually out of our control. Yeah. Um, but uh, and and similarly, another person's words and other people, another person's actions, might influence our thoughts and might influence our feelings, but they actually don't control them. We have the choice over those four things. And so, when you really start to embrace and practice and own importantly and own those four things and only those four things your own thoughts feelings words and actions that is incredibly empowering Uh, and so that is the circle of control and the next one outside of that is the circle of influence and they are all the things that we might influence might influence what our kids are going to be wearing to school um, but we can't necessarily control it, particularly by the time they get to 16. Let me give you the mail. Uh, <laughs> You've been there, done that. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, my youngest has just finished high school, so thankfully I've just come out the other side. But um, so we, we may think that we're going to uh, – sorry, we, we'll aim to influence a number of things, even driving the car. We don't actually drive the car. Um, we turn a steering wheel and we put a foot on a pedal. Right. There's a bunch of other hydromechanical things um, that go on after it leaves our fingertips and our feet uh, for what actually goes into driving the car. So the sooner you can realise and embrace and own, as I said, is the most important thing, that there are only four things in this world we can actually control, then the more liberating it is. So so that's interesting because my late father always told me there were only two things. And that was taxes and death. 
But, you know. <laughs> well, we can't control the those. Only, just, the two they're, certain they're just, things in life. Yeah, that's right. They're just the things that are certain and, and most, most definitely yeah. are. Um, Kevin, hit us up with tip number four. Tip number four is one of the, the things that I believe um, is, is the most innocuous um, in its impact when it's not going well, and that is sleep. So for us to be resilient, for us to be able to bounce back both physically and mentally, we need sound sleep. And that's just that's not just the quantity of our sleep, but the quality of our sleep as well. Uh, and again, a very personal example here is I found out about seven, eight years ago that I've got sleep apnea. Um, now, um, sleep apnea uh, is, you know, obstructions in the airway and um, most people think of it as snoring or whatever else. But the impact of it, in my case at least, was one third of the night I had no oxygen or, um, or, or a severe lack of oxygen going to all of my organs, including my brain. So a lack of sleep, both quantity and quality of sleep, has a direct impact on the quality of, of our thoughts, the quality of our physical structure. All of our organs uh, uh, would be lacking oxygen in my, state, in my case, um, but also lacking that restorative uh, sleep overnight. And so the next day when you're fatigued, uh, you're physically fatigued and the impact of that you're less likely to be energized to get into things and mentally fatigued you're less likely to be able to think with a clear head um, and to be able to uh, interact in a way that is positive and serves you at all times it's an interesting one isn't it uh, one of my <clears throat> one of my oldest mates uh Recently, he was diagnosed with sleep apnea and he was, um, the doctor said, I want you to take uh, sleep with a CPAP machine, which of course regulates the airflow into your, your nose and your mouth, your lungs. And, and he was very skeptical. And, uh, within a week, he was an absolute convert. He said the, um, the difference in his energy level, his ability to think clearer and to act uh, sharper, if we can use that word, was dramatic. And I can only imagine if you were, if you were missing out for one third of the night on oxygen to your, your brain, your organs, your whatever. I mean, your physiological state has got to be depleted, hasn't it? Absolutely. And, and for me, it took two nights. I was a convert after two nights. <laughs> it was wow. This is like a magic pill. It's incredible. And all it is is having a tube on your face to give you a full amount of oxygen all night, every night. It's incredible. And it's so funny because um, this guy, he's he's going around like there's a little group of us. We've been friends for 40 plus years. And uh, he's going around to each of us saying, Do you snore? Have you had, have you had, you should, you should, <laughs> he, he wants us all to go and have a test. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And and one quick um, insider tip I'll give you on sleep apnea um, is I thought it was heavily related to being overweight. I carry a couple of extra kilos, but nothing crazy. Um, and what I found out was that you are far more likely to have sleep apnea if you have a, a genetic predisposition. It's in the genes. Wow. It, it just so happens that a number of people who have sleep apnea are overweight. But being overweight is not a precursor to having sleep apnea. So there's plenty of plenty of skinny folks out there with sleep apnea. Don't you worry about that. 
Interesting. Okay, let's move on to tip number five. Tip number five is something to to work on in the more obvious uh, way of things, and that is what we put into our bodies and what we do with our bodies. Um, and so by that, I mean nutrition. It is well-founded now in science that the gut is the first filter for the brain um, and that indeed the, the gut has its own brain in many ways. Uh, so uh, nutrition is hugely important. Um, the higher quality the nutrition, the higher quality the thought processes. So if you're feeding yourself with energy drinks and Mars bars and uh, high, heavily processed foods, you are not doing yourself any favours when it comes to your own psychological resilience. Um, if you're eating whole foods, then you're streets ahead. Exercise, 30 minutes of moderate exercise is the equivalent of a mild antidepressant. Uh, so in terms of maintaining resilience, then having a clearer head is a far better way to go. Um, and on top of that, of course, there's a whole bunch of physiological benefits to exercise as well. All right? uh, and lastly, breath work. Um, there's when we when we get when we get stressed, there's a whole bunch of of um, things that happen in the brain with the fight or flight response. If you get to that point, one of the simplest ways for us to be able to um, live in the gap, as I call it is to be able to do breath work and that is to uh, and there's various types of breath work it might be as simple as when you feel yourself getting stressed breathe in and out and count to 10. then there's other ways of box breathing so you breathe in for four seconds hold for four seconds breathe out for four seconds and hold for four seconds and you just repeat that cycle making sure and the holding is really important but our physiology is tip number five. So what we put into our bodies, exercising our bodies, and then breathing our bodies. So I know you're a generous guy, and uh, I believe you've got a bonus tip for us. Uh, tip number six, tip number five point whatever. Five and a half. Five, five and a half. half. No, that's right. When you said five tips, I thought, no, no, I'll be cheeky and put in an extra one. Um, and, and this one is the Pareto principle. And it's really because I'm a workaholic and I know that there's plenty of other people out there that are workaholics too. Um, and the Pareto principle, for those who haven't heard about it, they might know it as the 80-20 rule. And quite simply, 80% um, of the outcome typically comes from 20% of the effort. Um, and if you want the last 20% of the outcome, that means typically you need to spend, expend about 80% of effort to get that last little bit. You know, in this rapidly changing world that we've got, and I and, and I am not Mr. 80%er, I can assure you, anybody who knows me knows <laughs> this is not me, right? But so often, if I remind myself, hey, Kev, will 80% actually do for whatever this task is? Um, then it's amazing how often the answer is yes. And we don't need to, you know, to spend so much time going for that bit of perfection. So just if you can identify what 20% of effort will get you 80% of the outcome and then reassess when you get there, you'll 
help to handle the perfectionism. You'll have to help to drop the amount of hours that you're working and that in turn will help to alleviate burnout, which is also good for resilience. So anyway, there's my tip 5.1, 5 5.3, 5 5.5 and 5.9. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Kevin. If our listeners want to get hold of you to find out more about the work you do, find out more about your story, your, your work in mental health, what's the best way for them to get hold of you? Yeah, simplest way is uh, my website, and that's just my name, um, kevinhumphreys.com.au. That's Humphreys spelled E-Y-S. Um, yeah, so you can find me there, get in contact, and, yeah, happy to have a chat anytime. Cool. Thanks again, Kevin, for uh, joining us on the Top 5 podcast. I want to uh, thank my co-host, Raoul Bricker, and we are now signing off for another edition of the Top 5 Podcast.